Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 208, and we're going to be interviewing Lee. How are you doing this afternoon, Lee? I'm doing well, thank you. So you're excited to do this, right? Yeah, I am. All right, awesome. Let's dive in and get started. Tell me about your childhood growing up. Oh, wow. My childhood growing up. When I was a young child, up until my teenage years, I had a fabulous childhood. Uh, Great parents. They did divorce young, but they were both still great parents. Um, Then my teenage years came and things got a little bit more complicated, but... Do you know why they got divorced? Like what exactly was going on? Uh, my My dad went to Vietnam and that kind of changed everything they had only been together for like a year and a half prior so that was it just changed everything and when when my dad got home he was just a different person so it didn't work out well yeah going to places like that can change a man absolutely absolutely yeah so how old were you when your dad went to vietnam Uh, I wasn't even born yet, so he got back about a year before. Mm. What year was this? I was born in 75. Okay, so this is right during the war. Yeah, yeah. I think my parents tried to make a go of it. It just didn't work out. Well, at least they tried. Yeah, yeah, they tried. So what else was your childhood like? Tell me more. So um, how was things like your school life and your social life? Um, academically. You muted yourself. Lee, you muted yourself. You have to unmute yourself. At the bottom of the screen, you have to hit the microphone. Now I can hear you. I can't hear you. You can't hear me? Okay, now I can. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um. So academically, I did well. I went to a parochial school. I loved it. Um, it was great being with the same 30 kids every year. Uh, then, um, and like I said, I got all A's and B's. And then after that, I got sent to a public school from parochial school. So a lot of things changed. Like what? Um, being thrown in from a parochial school to a pri- or yeah to a public school is really really hard when you're going into ninth grade. And some things happened to me that year. So, you know, rumors get started and it just made it hard to go to school. It was really difficult. What kind of things were being said? Um, well, some things happened to me and there were rumors obviously denying the situation of what had happened to me. So well, that it was- that's what I'm asking, what had happened? Um, I got date raped. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Then I got molested. So all in the same literally month and a half. 
So that's why my life had changed so drastically. I can imagine that must have been hard on you. Yeah, it was. It was. And then I ended up getting pregnant when I was 17. So I gave birth to a baby when I was graduating high school. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) But that's about it as far as my childhood. My mom didn't believe me about the situation. So they're in. Didn't believe about what situation? About my, about my, the man that she was married to doing anything to me. So she didn't believe you? No. She died not believing me. So, yeah. But it I must believe have been difficult for the person that's supposed to protect you to not believe you. It was horrible. It was very horrible. It was hard to do. Hard to live through. But I made the decision young in life that I would do whatever it took to keep my mother so with that, I chose to basically live a lie just to keep her in my life by saying, okay, it didn't happen, whatever, let it go. So, but it did happen. So she just never got to really know about it too much or never wanted to. So what was your social life like? Did you have a lot of friends? Um, no, not really. I had a few that I clung to and we went to the skating rink and things like that on the weekends, but no, I wasn't really close to anyone. I was always kind of a loner. Why do you think that is? Because of the things that happened to me and because of the outcome of things that happened to me, I think it just taught me to not trust and not, you know, I just didn't trust anybody. So I curl up inside myself. I still do. I still do that. Curl up inside yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What exactly do you mean by that kind of retreat to Yep. Retreat to safer waters, which is by myself and, you know, try to sort through my thoughts and yeah, it's nothing for me to close up and maybe not talk to people for a couple of days. Getting better at that though. So it's something that you're working on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So when was the first time you were ever exposed to any type of drugs or alcohol? Was it during your childhood? Um, I was exposed to marijuana about when I was 10. You smoked um, it? Yeah, with my mother gave it to me. Jesus. Um, I know. And then um, alcohol, I was always a social drinker until 2018. And in 2018, I suffered the most traumatic thing imaginable to me. And I, the very first day I picked up a fifth of vodka and I lived with a fifth of vodka in my hand for three and a half years. What what happened? My husband committed suicide via shotgun. 
so I lost everything, including my sanity, by all means, and have only been recovering well uh, for the last year. I'm actually almost 11 months sober. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So and that's not hard to do so far. I always feel like I'm getting cocky when I say that. But yeah, it was definitely a result of my husband doing that. And then I kind of buried myself in him in the vodka bottle. And, you know, just I definitely retreated then. I stayed alone all the time. Because first of all, nobody could talk to me. Second of all, I didn't want anybody interrupting my drinking. It got really bad, really bad. Like I said, I lost everything. It was bad. So the first time you were ever exposed to any addiction issues was just four years ago? Yeah. So your whole life you were sober. Yeah. Not sober. Like, I mean, I drank socially, but. That's so, no, no. To me, the definition of sober is if you are in control. Right. Because there's plenty of people that can go out and have a drink and they're sober at that point, if they get drunk, they're not sober at the exact moment, but as a lifestyle, they're sober. Yeah, it's sure. when you can't control yourself that you have an addiction issue and it's right. negatively affecting your life. Right. Yeah, that definitely negatively affected my life. It was a spiral effect after that happened from losing my job, my house, um, control of taking care of my children who were 15 and 16 at the time um like I said completely lost my sanity became extremely suicidal um attempted probably five times at least including jumping off a motorcycle like that was just how bad my heart was broke how long were you married for? Um, only about four years. But he was my best friend. Yeah, the relationship is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So. Was it a complete shock to you? Um, Yes. That particular day, and when I found out, yes. In thinking about it, he had a lot of warning signs that I wish I would have. I wish I would have really picked up on it. It's it's strange because the gun that he used, I actually had hid from him for a long, long time, and I had just given it back to him like four weeks prior. And I don't know, I, I, I ramble a lot when it comes to this subject because I jump from thought to thought to thought, you know That's what I mean? Okay. I'll keep you on track. <laughs> yeah, so. I can't even imagine. You, you're a very strong woman to go still be here fighting this. Right. So what... 
what what was like the first thought that made you go pick up liquor? Was it you needed to just numb yourself, or what? What was the reason? Because some people choose specific drugs for specific reasons. Is there any reason you went to alcohol? Um, it was there and it was available, and there nice was and a lot, and it was easy. You know, everybody. They knew I didn't have a problem at the time. So when I asked for it, they didn't think anything of it. They thought, okay, this is how she's going to cope today. Okay, this is how she's going to cope today. They didn't have any idea that it would turn into the nightmare that it did. Who's they? Your family? Yeah. Yeah. My family. They uh, got to a point where they were just, you know, shaking their heads. They didn't know what to do for me anymore. And nor did I have any idea what to do with myself. I was comfortable where I was. I was comfortable in the depression. I was comfortable in the sadness. I was comfortable in the darkness. And I was comfortable with the drinking after a short period of time. So it just became my way of life. And a lot of nights things would go things would happen with me because I would get so angry and I would just start walking down the street and you know my family would be trying to get me to stop and then one day we got my dad and I got into an argument because I kept running away from them because they were suffocating me is what they were doing and um all I wanted to do was go outside and smoke a cigarette and here I am, 44 years old, and my dad's telling me no, because <laughs> I might run away. It didn't go well. But, you know, it was with the anger from my family members that I started to, I can't even say that I started to realize. I knew I had a problem not too long into it. I just, I was comfortable. So what was your actual poison of choice? What was the liquor you chose? Vodka. Vodka? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smirnoff only. I was a snob about it, but still had to do it every day, every single day. I would What's plan... That? In the evening, I was a functioning alcoholic when I went back to work. You know, I'd go to work and come home and, you know, by five, six o'clock, I'm starting to go ready to roll. Yeah, it sounds like the way I used to be. It's tough. It is tough. I know all, all too much about it, unfortunately. I went, not what you went through, but we all have our own demons we got to face. But uh, a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, I'm very familiar with. Right. So you realized you had a problem very early on. Like how long into your using did you realize you had a problem? Oh boy. Probably within, within a couple months. Um, I, I actually went through a significant episode with my heart. Um, I was sick the night before I was with a friend. We had stopped and gotten Burger King. Um, 
before I even left the restaurant, I felt sick to my stomach. So I just thought I was, I thought I had food poisoning and all of my only symptom was vomiting. And, um, finally I was found in fetal position crying. And my friend was like, you're going to the hospital. Well, to make a long story short, I was there for 10 minutes and I coded, I went into ventricular fibrillation and I coded on the table and I had to get CPR innovated, the whole, you know, on a ventilator, the whole thing. And that was all from broken heart syndrome. It was, my heart was extremely surrounded by fluid and only pumping at 25%. So I think that's where I started to recognize it is during that cardiac event. Was the um, cardiac event caused by your drinking? No, it was caused by my heart being broken. It's called takisobu cardiomyopathy, but the quote unquote real, I mean, the not the layman's terms is broken heart syndrome. Gotcha. Yeah. So from there, I went to rehab for a little bit for probably five days, but it didn't do much good. Lasted maybe a week. And I was right back out. So you weren't there very long. How come you were there so short? I thought usually when you have some event like that, you're in the hospital for a while. Oh, I was. I was in there for 11 days. I had, they sent me to another hospital. They attempted cardiac ablation which was an electrophysiological surgery to attempt to get my heart to do that again so they could scar off wherever it was happening and they couldn't get my heart to do it again. So uh, luckily I came out without a pacemaker and because um, of God, I don't want one of those. Um, but yeah, they just... They started talking to me about my drinking. They started talking to me about my mental health there. So that heart incident brought a lot of pieces of the puzzle together for them. They were starting to understand, okay, this is why she had that event. This is why this is going on. So, and I think that would have helped had I not been drinking. I think the mental health part, um, would have maybe worked if I would have put the battle down. So after all this, at what point in your life did you say that you needed help? That you recognized that you couldn't do it on your own? Um, I never take the car out when I've been drinking. And my husband's, my husband's grave plot is literally outside my bedroom window. Um, you live next I, to the cemetery? Yes. And um, for some reason, I got really drunk for, and, and I was really upset about my husband. And I drove to the cemetery, and I remember laying on the cemetery, on the grave, it was snowing out. It was freezing. Um, and then when I got back in the car, I was just like, like I tried suicide many, multiple times. And 
I just kind of, the roads were slippery. There was a turn and I thought I'm going to hit this big headstone and I'm going to be done. And that's not how it happened. I came out without a scratch, but got in some trouble. So it was right then, right then when I was sitting in the, you know, cause I got taken to jail and right sitting there, I was like, never again, never again, ever. And I never have since. I think it might sound crazy, but I think it was, you know, the will of God and I, I, it was meant to end right there, right then and there, you know, where all my grief was left, it was supposed to go. I, I had to quit. So what did you do? Did you go to rehab? No, I didn't do anything. I quit on my own. I did get involved with AA a lot. Um, I It was just a matter of willpower. I even quit smoking. Oh, good for you. Yeah. So luckily, I can say it was easy for me. I have a lot of support. Um, but I'm also, like I said, I try not to be cocky about it. And there are some situations that make me uncomfortable. Um, and I always plan like an escape route for that because I have social anxiety and just you name it. I'm, I have PTSD from what happened. And so I always plan an escape route. So if I get nervous or feel like I'm going to start to drink, I can get out of there. And you've been sober for four years, you said? No. Oh. Only 11, almost 11 months. Oh, apologies, apologies. I don't know where I got that number from. That number is from how long ago this happened with my husband. Oh, gotcha. Um, so how are you feeling nowadays that you're sober? Uh, life is a lot more easy to deal with. Um, I got a lot of people back in my life on good terms i have three grandchildren now that oh congratulations you know, i i often think about if i was still drinking nobody would tr trust me with my grandbaby with epilepsy nobody would you know what i mean it so it's oh, all of about not. the things that i'm not <clears throat> missing because i'm sober it's fantastic i love being sober but I don't think that I'm naive to falling off the wagon either. Have you come close at all? No. So far, no. I've thought about it, though. I can't say that I don't think about drinking sometimes, because I do, you know. But I've never even considered going to buy it or... As a matter of fact, out in the garage, the there's a band who used to play out there. There's tons of, I mean, it's here if I wanted it, you know, it's been here the whole time. What, alcohol? Yeah. In your house? Yep, in the garage. That takes some strong will. 
I don't know how I would react if I had alcohol in the house. Right. I think I'd just be too scared to have it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also, like I said earlier, I'm kind of a snob about my choice of poison. And I only drank one certain kind and knew that my stomach could take it. So that's not what kind's out there. So it wouldn't tempt me as much. If that made any sense. It does. It does. So <clears throat> for people that are watching and listening, would you have any advice for them? Actually, I have one quick question before I ask you that. So you said you would think of alcohol every now and then, but you never buy it. What what actually stops you from thinking about it to, to stopping yourself from not doing anything? Like what happens? I have to, I just think about the things that I have right now and the relationships that I have right now and the trust that I have built with the people that I love and um, the manageability that there is of my life. And the fact that I don't have to, I don't have to do it before I felt like I had to do it. I don't have to do it. And once you get sober, relapse is absolutely not a requirement. So you don't have to relapse. I think that would be one of my big, big things I would tell people. Well, I want to really say thank you for coming on the podcast today. That's okay. I wanted to be here. Yeah, you have quite the story, and I appreciate you sharing it. No problem. Thank you for having me. No, of course. Did you have anything else that you want to add in before we go? Um, No, I just hope everyone gets a little something from this, and I wish you all the best. Thank you for that. So sit tight for a moment. And for everybody that's watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all social media, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Tumblr. Um, you can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you can find plenty of free resources as well as literature. So I hope you enjoyed today. That's all we have. And until next time.